Welcome to In the Isles, your favourite lockdown therapy podcast. A new strain of podcast has emerged. Hands, face, entertainment space. Wonder Woman delayed. Tenet delayed. James Bond delayed. Wonder Woman delayed. Tenet. I don't want to get into politics, but let me talk about the politics of this for the next five minutes. Spending £138 to watch Mulan. Tenor! Our God King, our Lord and Saviour, Christopher Nolan. Cinemas are dead. It's one of the best things I've ever seen. Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that survived the first year of the pandemic. I'm James Rothwell. I'm Daniel Acton. This week... We've got a stacked end-of-year review show. We'll talk about how the year's been going. We'll reflect on what it was like to start a podcast six months ago. And then we'll talk through our top five TV shows, our top five films, and some other end-of-year review chat. But first, Daniel, it's Christmas Day. How's your Christmas Day going? Yeah, yeah. This is the magic of podcasting. It is technically Christmas Day, so I will keep up the illusion because we are appearing as, in essence, the the podcasters of Christmas past. My Christmas Day is going well. What's been your best present, James? What's the one that you finally got that you were most excited about? And the purpose of this, by the way, is that you can play this back to your partner on Christmas Day if you didn't get the gift and she can feel pretty shit about herself if she didn't get you that gift. That's not going to be an issue because my favourite Christmas gift is the gift that I gifted myself about a month ago, which was an iPhone 12 mini. Okay, this doesn't work. No, didn't bother waiting until Christmas. Just thought, go for it right now. So what we're going to do is we've got one each, so we're going to put them back in the boxes and then give them to each other. No, we've already done this because this has already happened. We're going to, we, we, we put the phones in their boxes and then gave them to each other. So we did a gift exchange in that way and then took them back out of the boxes again. Pretty pointless by the sense of it, but in the spirit of Christmas, I suppose. Yeah. What was your best gift? Not trying to copy it. Exactly the same. The gift that I gave myself, which was a PS5, which my partner was going to pay for, but I've told her it's fine. Don't worry about it. So essentially she's got me nothing, I don't think. She's gifting you the time that I'm sure you'll be spending on it. That's the gift, allowing you to to play it. Well, let's see if that materialises, because I don't think there's a kind hell's chance of me having any time to play it. But we'll, we'll see. Time will tell. Let's, let's see what happens. But this is not a Christmas special. This is the end of year special. Do you have any thoughts on this year that we've just suffered through? Oh, God. How do you put this year into any form of summary? I don't know what to say about it. I think I speak for everyone when I say it's been... Pretty terrible. It is a year in which we've seen both the best and worst in people. But more than anything, I suppose it's been a year of self-reflection. Many people use the pandemic as an excuse to better themselves, get fit, get into shape, reinvent themselves. Us, we gave ourselves, or I did, the perfect excuse to become a complete couch potato for the last six months, which is by starting a film podcast. And 
the irony is not lost on me. We started a podcast about going to the cinema and we've rarely set a foot in the aisles ever since. What do you feel starting this podcast? I feel like, you know, in all seriousness, we mentioned it at the start, it's something we've discussed for many years, but we've done it, James. We've actually done it. Three years ago, it dates this podcast when we did test episodes for Planet of the Apes and Mother, starring Jennifer Lawrence. Which went nowhere. And, you know, things got in the way, but we didn't let a global pandemic get in the way for 2020. We went for it. And when I first posted about the podcast on LinkedIn, I said hashtag lockdown learning. And that's what it's been, hasn't it? We've learned a lot. And it's shown me that if you just put your head down and get creative with something, it can be a lot of fun. Just doing something for the sake of doing it, for the love of the pod, it's worth it. Indeed. Completely agree with those sentiments. And just from my own perspective, I've really enjoyed sharing my thoughts and opinions with you. And I've loved hearing yours. We've had many laughs along the way. It's allowed us to keep in touch on a regular basis. So I thank you, sir, for embarking on this journey with me. Long may it continue. Very much looking forward to year two. I thought you were going to hand in your resignation, actually, then. So (laughs) while we're reflecting on the podcast, James, do you want some stats, some cold, hard stats on how aligned we are, how in sync we've been with our reviews this year? Yes, I'd love to hear this. Okay. So from 30 episodes, we have, by my calculations, a 93% completely in sync with our opinions on films. We've arrived at the same conclusion on 93% of content. Do you want to know the two films that we completely had differing opinions on? I know one that was looted. Yes. But I don't know the other one. The other one, and I, I am relying on my memory here, which is never a good thing, but I think it was Greyhound. Yes. Yeah, that's right. I was much more into that than you were. Did you recommend Tesla? I did. I shall say no more. But yes, I did at the time. Maybe it would have been more interesting if we disagreed more. Maybe we can work that in year two, disagree for the sake of it. We'll, We'll see. Yeah, I think it was problematic coming up with a section called conflicts of interest when we pretty much agree 93% of the time. Yeah, two people from pretty much identical backgrounds are going to have similar experiences. That's going to inform their opinions, which are obviously 93% the same. As I said before, it's a time for reflection. And with that, we've discussed the podcast. But in hindsight, James, is there a recommend that you've made throughout this six-month journey that we've been on that you want to take back? Have you revisited a film in your mind and thought, why the hell did I recommend that? It was a choice between this and Old Guard. I'm going to take back Enola Holmes. I no longer recommend it. Any particular reason? Because I do remember your Old Guard review you were really down on it throughout the whole thing, then recommended it. Whereas in all the homes, you were a bit more positive, I would say. But now you've had a change of heart. Why? Why? When I was looking through our episode list, shortlisting top fives and things, I looked at in all the homes and I couldn't really remember much about it. I hadn't quite forgotten that I'd watched it, but I didn't immediately have memories of all that happened. There was that action scene. That scene was good. They were good in this. I was caught up in the marketing that Netflix were doing for this, I think. And I'm going to take it back. I don't recommend it. It was boring, forgettable. Nothing to do with you looking down on feminist ideology or anything like that? No, nothing Nothing to do with that. Thought we'd say it straight, straight out the gate, get it boxed off. Cool. What recommendation would you take back, if any? 
I struggle with this one, but I have got two. One of which is an obvious one, I think, now, looking back. Black Box. I was tentative on it anyway, but I recommended it based on if you like sci-fi thrillers and it's your type of thing. Well, guess what? You can go and watch a better version of Black Box by watching Possessor instead. So do that. The other one, Tesla. I gave it a pass for being experimental and a little bit different. But the more that I think about it, which is not very often, the more I think it was a bit shit, that. No other reason. Just, nah, don't think I liked it as much as I thought I did at the time. I think I recommended Black Box as well. I must have done. Yeah, for what did. it is, for what it is, it just about got there. But there is a better version of that film. Yeah, a much, much better version of that. Discussing better things, shall we move on to our year in review, James, and discuss our top five content of both TV and film? Yes, let's get into the meat of the year in review episode. Disclaimer, first of all, this is a list of films that we have seen. We couldn't watch everything. It's been a miserable year with countless non-releases and delays, but that didn't mean that there still was more content than the average person is capable of ingesting through their eyeballs and ears. So there was a lot. I do want to say as well, this is a legal disclaimer. This is not a definitive list. It is a personal one that comes down to our individual preferences. The thoughts and opinions expressed from here on in do not represent the cumulative perspectives of the British people as a whole. Any comment that may be misconstrued as racially or sexually ignorant or just plain obscene has been vocalised under the pretense that freedom of speech exists. We ask that all listeners that do take events to the following content form the complaint in writing and send them over to inthealspodcast at gmail.com. Please allow up to 168 working days for a response. Before we fully dig in, James, I just want to get a bit of insight as to how you compiled this list. Because as I said before, and I've said it on many episodes, my memory is awful. I actually kept an IMDb list of every single thing that I've watched this year to make sure that I'd not forgotten anything. How did you go about this? I felt that if I've forgotten that I've watched it, it's not worth going in this list. So a couple of things, film and TV, that immediately popped out, and I wrote those down and thought, well, they're definitely going in. And then after that, I looked through our full list of episodes on Podbean, wrote down the films that were actually good, which, surprisingly, was less than half. <laughs> as in that they were they were worth bringing over as, as a possible top five. And then just rearranged things until five films emerged. How did you get your list? Just going through the old IMDb list, and I whittled down 263 things that I have watched this year or started watching into a list of 10, which was very, very difficult. But I've got to say, very surprised that I actually struggled with film. I don't seem to have watched a lot of films. Habitually, I've been consuming more TV and that surprised me just how unbalanced the scales were. But that's what I've done. And I do want to ask you the question, anything on your list that we did not review on the podcast? No. What about you? One or two surprises thrown in there, yes. Shall we cut the suspense and go in? Let's do it. Let's go in raw. Number five film from me, from episode 20, it's Tesla. Okay, okay. <laughs> A film that, looking through our list of films, I felt that I vividly remembered a lot of it really enjoyed it it really made me think and it was unique 
among what we watched. And it is on that basis that it is my number five film. Nice. I, I do feel ever so slightly guilty for taking back my recommend now, but it almost just shoves a middle finger up to everything we said before about being on the same page with everything as well. But there you go. Interesting. What's your number five film? My number five we covered in a previous episode, and that is My Octopus's Teacher on Netflix. Covered it fairly recently, won't go in depth. Nature documentary that I found really inspiring and beautiful in equal measure. Quick reminder, a film about a guy who follows the life of an octopus by making his way to the beach every day for well over a year, I think. Takes his camera down to the seabed and just observes this creature going about his day-to-day. The fact that you start to feel a sense of personality being attributed to this octopus is a testament to this filmmaker. He really has caught on camera something quite spectacular. What's impressive, and I said it at the time, is how he captures these images without taking a breath. He's no scuba equipment. I'm not going to wax lyrical about it. Go back and listen to the back catalogue. I'll let you uncover the magic of this film yourself, but it left me with an appreciation for a creature I had little knowledge of. It's quite incredible what things it's capable of doing. Very immersive experience. We also watched this. My wife was so moved by it that we watched it again the next day. Oh, really? When did you watch it? A few months ago, quite soon after you recommended it. So thank you for recommending it. One of the best, it's not on my list, but one of the best things of the year for me as well. James, what's at number four for you? From episode 15, Boys State, the Apple TV Plus documentary about a politics training camp for young boys in the state of Texas. It captured everything so well. It got in so close but it managed to stay objective, didn't judge the lads for their views, which were mostly what you'd expect in Texas. Very enlightening documentary about how these young lads perceive politics, what they think needs to be done to succeed. Very genuine, interesting, eye-opening. There's a lot of documentaries that cover years and huge sagas of a murder investigation, but this is a 90-minute documentary that takes place over one week, but it seems to cover so much ground and it all builds so perfectly towards that final election of the top guy tells a really good story didn't make it into my top 10 but i did really enjoy that film as i said at the time it was actually about something i think it was one of our first reviews that was about something real rather than just a nonsense film because my word we had to troll through a lot of terrible films to get to that point i think with some gems thrown in in between daniel what's your number four My number four is a film that I've not previously discussed on this podcast. I did debate with you about doing it as a main review, but we just forgot about it. Then I compiled this list and I remembered it again. So my number four is Relic, which is currently available on video on demand. This arrived late October, I think it was, on streaming services to very little fanfare. It actually holds a pretty abysmal IMDb rating of 5.9. So people probably just go, nah, not interested in that. It's a straight-up horror film in many respects, but for me, it also had quite a poignant message to it, which spoke to me personally. It basically uses the illness of dementia as a horror construct, which is something unique that I can't say I've seen before. Watching somebody you love turn into something that is alien and unrecognisable to you is a frighteningly nightmarish thought. 
you are completely and utterly defenseless in stopping this. And the film manifests all those ideas and delivers it in the form of a horror film. Because it is a very real human nightmare, I think for anybody who has a relative suffering from dementia, they'll find this quite difficult to watch in parts. As I say, without getting into it, I was profoundly impacted by the film. I can relate to the idea of somebody slipping away in this manner. It visualises a lot of the inner turmoil that you go through in that scenario, if that makes any sense. I think it is important to note as well that it lands on the right side of sensitivity. You could easily see this as somebody exploiting a pretty cruel disease to get some horror kicks out of it, but it really isn't that at all. I think there's some real thought and intelligence gone into the story. The climax of the film, without giving it away, perfectly captures why there's some real heart there. And for obvious reasons, I can't discuss it. It's a film that I don't think will speak to everybody. And maybe that's why it's got quite an average rating. But it spoke to me on a personal level. And that's why it's up there for me. One of the more original concepts I've seen in a horror film in quite some time. Excellent. James, we're nearing ever closer. What's at number three? Reaching all the way back to episode six, The King of Staten Island. Yeah. Why is that not on my list? Damn it. It's a Judd Apatow film, but there's not that many laughs in it. It's surprisingly serious. It does what I really like comedies to do, which is mixing the comedy and the pathos. It was surprisingly touching, and it's more touching because there is some good comedy in there it didn't set the world on fire when it was released i think there's some negative reviews i wouldn't call them a middling response but i really liked it i loved the chemistry between pete davidson and his friends there was a really natural chemistry between them all and it felt like it was improvised it was that natural doesn't really matter whether it's improvised or not pete davidson bill burr and marissa tomei the drama between them, the father-son relationship between Bill Burr and Pete Davidson, it all built so nicely, surprisingly touching, again, for a Judd Apatow comedy, comedy in air quotes. Really enjoyed it from a very early review for us, episode six. I think that's my problem, you know. I think the more recent that I've seen something, if I'm hot on it, I hold it in higher regard and I tend to forget about how keen I was on something. But that's a really good show. I enjoyed that film a lot as well. Definitely in my top 10, even though it's not in my top five. What's your number three film? Number three, another horror film. Might not come as a surprise, but again, one that I haven't discussed on the podcast, I don't think. And it is The Platform on Netflix. This is noticeable for being one of the only films that I have re-watched this year. I enjoyed it so much. It's a Spanish horror sci-fi film, which is quite difficult to describe, but I'll try. So the film is set in a vertical prison. There are two people on each floor of this prison, and each day a huge table of food, extravagant amounts of food, descends through the never-ending abyss of levels, getting absolutely obliterated by the prisoners, meaning there's less and less food the lower down it goes. Am I making sense? Yes, And the lower down it goes, the more desperate that these prisoners become and people are pushed to their limits, ultimately committing some horrendous acts all in the name of survival. The pleasure of this film comes from watching the story unfold before your eyes. The less you know about it, the better, so I'll keep it short and sweet. It's a film ultimately about hierarchy and the problems with classist structures, what it means to distribute the wealth evenly amongst people. It's a horror film that has a societal message behind it, But despite that, it is very graphic in its depiction of violence and filth. And I absolutely loved it. 
I almost watched that. It was on my recommended thumbnail list for a while. I think I'll finally go in. Looking forward to your review in the new year. James, getting closer. What's at number two? From episode 28, Possessor. I loved this. I remember when we talked about it just three episodes ago, I said, it's been a long time since I've been this excited about a film. It's such a pure, unaltered vision of a film. You've got this idea of woman assassin uses this technology to possess people and then carries out the assassination through other people's bodies. It depicts extreme violence a lot, but it's not gratuitous. It is not gratuitous because it's about that character's response to the violence that she's acting out through these other bodies. There's little sprinkles of near-future dystopia with the guy in the VR headset doing his job by spying on other people. Really disturbing images. The rubber mask scene, it's iconic, or it should be iconic, but I think in this period that we're in, it's not breaking through. It was on video on demand, so it's not available for free anywhere. So memorable, so disturbing. I was leaning forward in my seat to watch it. The sound design, not just of the eyeball popping, but the music that was there as well, the flashing red and blue images. This was excellent. I wish that I'd watched it twice because it was so memorable. Every minute, every performance, it was great. With something that you just touched on there, I think this film and many others like it might have a bit of a challenge at the moment because I think a lot of people, just because of their own mindset and where they're at mentally, they think, I don't want anything dark. Just lift my spirit, uh, so it's probably not got the audience that it should have, but a very fine choice, a great film. I think people would rather watch The Wrong Missy than this, so it's <laughs> by a factor of quite a lot, more people will have watched The Wrong Missy than Possessor, which is a shame. How timely, because my number two is The Wrong Missy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. What is your number two film? I don't know if this is going to be controversial or not, because I don't know if you can class it as a film. But in a year in which attending the theatre became a thing of fantasy, my number two is Hamilton on Disney+. Plus. This came out at a time where we'd been cooped up for months on end with little escapism other than the comfort of the TV. And this is more TV, but in a different way. This delivered a one-of-a-kind experience for me and my partner. I said it at the time, but we felt as though we'd been out of the theatre on a night out. It really did feel that way. The way in which it shot perfectly captured the performance and atmosphere of actually being in a theatre, I thought. Arguably, you could say that it was a bit of a better experience than you would have in an actual theatre because you got to see every element of what's on stage, how the scenes are choreographed in a lot more detail. The music alone is phenomenal as are the performances. I loved it. I've been listening to the soundtrack ever since. This was an enchanting experience, shall we say, and one that I vowed not to forget, and so far I haven't. It was. It is a work of genius. It really is. Am I allowed it on my list, though? Yes, because my understanding is that that is a new release. That is a film filmed version that was newly released as a film, so I think it counts. James... It's crunch time, and I've got to say, I really don't know what your number one's going to be here. Maybe I should, but please tell us. This was a last-minute switch. It was Possessor, but instead, from episode 23, my number one film is The Trial of the Chicago 7. Nice. Yes, I should, I should have known. should have known. Written and directed by Aaron Sorkin, it's an airtight drama 
with the best cast of the year. When I first heard about it, I thought, how good can a court drama be? A court drama can surely not be that good, but it is about so much more. And it doesn't all take place in the courtroom. You get flashbacks to the protest that is the subject of the trial that they're in. And you see the seven or the six interact with each other when they go back to their base. And the main tension for me was between Sasha Baron Cohen's character, the anarchist left, and Eddie Redmayne being a more conventional, let's work within the system. And the way they bounce off each other and the build to Eddie Redmayne doing what he does in the end. I think some people were not that hot on it because it was directed by Aaron Sorkin as well. Or maybe because it's a Netflix film. I don't know. But looking back through our list, this was a film where I saw the title and I've remembered very vividly the end scene, how I felt at the end. I could picture it exactly. And then all the other scenes came flooding back to me the awful judge eddie redmayne's big speech at the protest sasha baron cohen and the other guy joking around dressing up in the courtroom it all came back so vividly that i thought this must be the best film of the year another fine pick that was just shy of my top five that film obviously go back and listen to episode 23 you can hear how positive we both are on that but yeah very good choice for number one james what is your number one film? Care to piss on my parade and guess? Possessor. It is indeed Possessor. What can be said that we haven't already said? Like you said, go and listen to episode 28. I won't go on forever. It's been a pretty stagnant year for films, in my opinion. But this was the breath of fresh cinematic air that I'd needed. It's an original idea. It's not a remake or sequel or part of a franchise. It's its own damn thing. It was horrific, violent, thought-provoking, and as you said, I think expertly executed, really. I struggled to think of anything that I would change about that film. It just left me thinking about it for days on end in all the right ways, unlike Tenet. Given we reviewed it so recently, I won't repeat everything. But yeah, that's why I'm so enthusiastic about this film. I couldn't not put it as number one. Almost got there for me. About one hour ago, I switched mine round. So that's a great, <laughs> great pick. And not much repetition between us. We've not duplicated films. I, I'm quite surprised. I thought there'd be a lot more crossover. Mm. That's good. That is good. To review the review, my top five from five to one. Tesla, Boy State, The King of Staten Island, Possessor, The Trial of the Chicago 7. Nice list. And for me, number five, My Octopus Teacher, Relic at number four, The Platform, number three, Hamilton, number two, and number one film of the year, Possessor. I like that you've got Hamilton squeezed in between these horror films. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't wasn't purposeful. I, I can't believe, yeah, I only realised earlier on that I had three horror films in there. That's supposed to make sense for me. Shall we talk about the top TV? Yes. Top five TV. Daniel, what's your number five? Number five is a TV show that I don't believe I brought up on the podcast yet again. And it is Breeders, which is available on Now TV. This is a British comedy series written by Chris Addison, who plays Ollie in the thick of it, if you're a fan of that. Simon Blackwell also writes, who's another The Thick of It alumni, and Martin Freeman writes it and also stars. 
And it's about parenting in the 21st century. It highlights some of the worst facets of human beings, I would say. There's like swearing in front of the kids, calling them little fuckers to the faces, being irresponsible as adults in general. And as a new parent, I found several aspects of it very relatable and hilariously so. The central couple, Martin Freeman and a woman who I've forgotten her name, so I apologise. I think I'm going to guess it's Daisy Haggerty. They have some real genuine chemistry, which I just fell head over heels for. I thought they were brilliant. The main reason that this is in my top five is that three quarters the way through this series is like very formulaic comedy with some brief touching moments. But the last episode is a complete punch you in the guts shift in tone. It's so heavy, the drama in it. And it completely caught me off guard and had me and my partner as complete emotional wrecks by the end of it. It's it's both funny and poignant, and I just really enjoyed this series. James, what about you? What's at number five? I thought this would be higher, but it got pushed down to five the more I constructed my list. The Third Day, first discussed by you on episode 18. I think we discussed this three times because it was coming out week by week. I watched it as well. It stars Jude Law going to O.C. Island off the coast of Essex. It's split into two parts. The first episode is deals with Jude Law and episode four to six deals with Naomi Harris. It's a cerebral exploration of this island. The weird, messed up, secretive, violent inhabitants of O.C. are the stars along with Jude Law. The way it's shot with the extreme depth of field where even all of Jude Law's face isn't in focus, only his eyes are in focus, his nose is out of focus, and behind him, I think at the time it looks like it's a watercolour painting. It's shot in such a cerebral way, there's some really out-there images of animals being strung up or caravans on fire. Really engaging mystery. The reason it got pushed down, and I don't know what you think about this, is that the second half, for me, wasn't as good as the first half. Really loved Jude Law going insane, going around the island. But then the second half seemed like it was a repeat of new person comes to the island, but less cerebral and less visually interesting. Still really good, still excellent. It's in the top five, but didn't end as strong as it started. Might come as a bit of a surprise to you, actually, because it was, from a TV perspective, probably the most enthusiastic I was the entire runtime of any of our podcasts, but I did not finish the third day. Mainly due to that 12-hour live event that I I just have it in my head that I have to watch the whole thing before I can continue with it. And I don't, because this is a summary episode. But I had concerns that it was going to end in a pretty horrible way. And by that, I mean, it would be poor, but you've made me. If it's in your top five, it must be worth a watch. So I'm definitely going to continue with that. I'm glad to hear that it's still worth a watch and it made it onto your top five. What is your number four? Number four for me is Ozark on Netflix. This was a new discovery for me in 2020. I know it's been around for some years now. Described by many when it first came out as a poor man's Breaking Bad due to a similar-ish plot. In the intervening years, I feel, and I think I'm right in saying this, is crept out of that shadow. It stands on its own two feet now and people know it is a good show. It's a thrilling exploration of a family's journey to evade the law and keep a drug cartel sweet at the same time. These characters that you come to know and love are doing some pretty deplorable things, but all the while you are batting for them 100% throughout the whole thing. 
given the premise, the stakes are pretty high throughout all three seasons. There's so much suspense and drama, which makes for some unbelievably thrilling scenes. And it's got some of the most intense moments I've seen on a TV show all year. And that is why it's at my number four. James, what's your number four? First discussed in episode 27, Industry, which was on BBC iPlayer. The show about graduates working at an investment bank written by two guys that worked at an investment bank. So very technical language that I didn't understand about FX and other acronyms that I can't even remember. But it captures the high pressure work that they're in so well. I'm putting it in my list because I remember really wanting to see the next episode. They released the first three episodes week by week, but then they dumped out all of it. And between each episode, I was thinking about the characters and the world. I was really invested in how are these graduates going to navigate this extremely high pressure environment because there's an event at the end of the first episode that shows the amount of pressure that they're under. It's full of unknown actors. I think there's some star-making performances in there. But also you see them outside of work, partying with each other, taking drugs, getting naked, listening to music. And that's all entertaining as well. And that is one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast, because, again, my gospel, so to speak, IMDb, holds a 6.6 rating. And ordinarily, with that much content, I'd go, not going to bother watching anything under a 7. But I hold your word in such high regard that if it's made your top five, I'm definitely going to give that a watch. So thank you. And since I watched it, there were articles coming out saying, oh, this industry is the new something. I don't know. I forgot what it was called. But there were articles coming out and I thought, I'm in this. I'm in on day one. I've watched this program before the hype. So I'm very happy to watch it. Daniel, what's your number three? My number three is season three of The Sinner. Again, on Netflix, sweeping. Sweeping this award ceremony is Netflix, I think. This is a show that deviates from its previous season. It's an anthology crime drama where there's a new case each year. I said it before, it's very much a why done it rather than a who done it. This season elevates that idea to the next level. It was a lot less about the crime itself, but more of a deep dive into the psychology around it and what drives somebody to commit such an act. It is, at its core, a story of a man desperately trying to hold on to his mask of sanity and us. Merely spectating and watching as that slowly slips away from him. I found it a really interesting approach to this sort of story. And as a TV show as a whole, each season it's found a new way to reinvent itself and give a completely different tone. So I really admire it for that. And I'm very much looking forward to season four of The Sinner. James, what's your number three? Pen 15, first discussed in episode 22, the comedy about two girls going into third grade in high school. But the twist is that they're played by adult versions of themselves. So it's these two adult females in a high school comedy surrounded by children. I binged both seasons of it because season two was newly released and recommended to me. I was full on laughing out loud and I mean laughing out loud and I rarely fully laugh out loud but I was laughing out loud (laughs) watching this on the one hand it's a comedy that you've seen before it's high school hijinks and awkward cringe comedy but having the 
adults play the two main characters visually it makes it so much funnier and obviously because they're adults they have this mastery of comic timing that makes all the jokes that much more funny and it's set in the late 90s so there's nostalgia in there as well like austin 316 dial-up internet AOL messenger that adds a whole dimension to it as well but also there's heart in that so these two teenagers played by adults they're working through the pain that comes with going through high school and growing up and watching the adults play those scenes it's like you're seeing the adults relive their own trauma that they're writing about and that they can't forget that is still stuck to them like an elastic band through time and that elevated it as well really memorable i've talked about a few comedies on here and i didn't want to include more than one so i picked out this as the best comedy of the year for me pen 15 and i cannot wait for series three i hope they do make it i'm surprised it doesn't have more twitter followers the official account of pen 15 i loved this i was laughing and crying at the same time at the end of series one which is a difficult thing to achieve very good i keep meaning to revisit this i don't know if i told you at the time but again i was like oh james like this i'll give it a watch and i started watching it as season two episode three by mistake so need to go back and watch this daniel what's your number two pick we're in the final stretch now this is a show that i've dragged out reviewing for at least five episodes on this podcast so I'm going to do it even more now. And it is The Haunting of Bly Manor, again, on Netflix. Mike Flanagan's follow-up to the very successful Haunting of Hill House. The horror takes a backseat in this instalment. It's more of a gothic love story, as I said at the time, the many times that I discussed it. And I think I said it in my review, but there's still an overwhelming sense of dread and this ghostly atmosphere to the series. So it is you can still class it as a horror, but the focus is a lot more on the story than the jump scares. And I find that that means there's a lot more attention given to each character as a result of that. Further to that, it's a really refreshingly diverse cast and they all bring their air game to it. It's really tense and moving in parts and extremely well shot. It's not what I expected it to be, but I greatly appreciated that, if I'm honest. It subverted my expectations and I loved it. James, what's your number two? My number two, first discussed in episode 20, is Life that was available to watch in full on BBC iPlayer, all six episodes. This came out of nowhere for me. I just wanted to see something. Went on BBC iPlayer, it was the first thumbnail. I hadn't seen any adverts for it, and it really blew me away about a house converted into four flats in Manchester. And like with other things I've talked about, the performances in this are so perfect, especially Victoria Hamilton, who plays an alcoholic divorced woman and the way she gets so much acting into two words like happy birthday is so brilliant it's about the stories of the people within these four flats so the husband who's trying to find out information about his dead wife alcoholic victoria hamilton the older couple peter davidson and alison steadman going through their late marriage crisis and the young couple who have a very strange arrangement where 
there was a baby from a one night stand that then the husband is raising, but the girl is still pregnant. Didn't really make sense to me at first, but it did in the end. These interconnected stories are not interconnected. And I thought this can't be good to watch four unrelated things happening at the same time. But somehow it does end up going really well because there's these explosive collisions of these characters within the flat. It was a uplifting story, not depressing despite some of the content, really uplifting. And you have this sense of community somehow within this building that they live in. It was fantastic. Don't know what else to say about it. Just a very enjoyable, really well-made piece of British telly. I um, remember you bringing it up at the time and I thought, oh, I've got to watch that. But because you didn't bring it up again, I thought, oh, maybe he just fell off and didn't bother. But that spurred me on that. I'm going to give life a go. I mean that literally as well. If we're allowed to go out. Daniel, what's your number one TV pick? Anyone who knows me knows that I am not very into the world of sports and athletics. Even if you don't know me, you only need to take one look at my physique and you probably could have guessed. So it comes as a complete surprise to no one more so than myself that I am picking The Last Dance as my number one TV show for 2020. Probably I've over-exaggerated that a bit. I'm partial to a bit of soccer now and again. Basketball, not so much, and that is why I'm so taken aback. I found this to be the most enthralling and thrilling documentary slash TV series I've seen all year from the players their personal lives the politics of the nba the merchandising and sponsorship deals around these athletes at first i thought 10 episodes of basketball surely this won't sustain my interest how how can it possibly for 10 episodes but my word did it if anything it wasn't long enough i could have took another 10 episodes of this it just took every ounce of willpower, though, to not Google the outcome of this Chicago Bulls season because I was like, oh, what's going to happen? But I'm so glad that I didn't, and I got to find out through the documentary. Prior to watching this, I knew Michael Jordan was a legend, but thanks to Netflix, now I know exactly why it's undisputed. This was just brilliant. If I'd remembered that I watched this as well this year, it probably would have been in my top five as well. Worth the hype that it got at the time. Unbelievable. So given that you've just made that comment, I had one of two that I was guessing as your number one. It's obviously not this one. James, what is it? What was your other guess? Miss America. You're almost right. It was called Mrs. America. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I was getting confused with the Taylor Swift documentary on Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, first discussed all the way back in episode 10. This is sort of a setup and payoff within this one episode with you saying that I hate feminism within all the homes. And now I'm saying this female-led story about feminism in the 70s in America, in America, was the best thing that I watched this year. It was an easy, immediate pick. Didn't have to look at what we'd watched straight away. Mrs. America, number one. Kate Blanchett as the main character, who is the villain, who is opposing the women's liberation movement in the 70s i didn't know anything about it it's a historical drama i was totally drawn in to these events most of the characters well the main characters at least which include rose Byrne as well they're playing real people and it doesn't feel like they're playing exaggerations or impersonations they're such perfectly done characters 
it's not just about the politics. You actually see the drama between the characters unfold as well. Different people within the movement coming together, then coming apart again. The victories and the losses. And Kate Blanchett herself, one of the best performances I've ever seen. But again, in this year that we've been in, nothing breaks through and gets hyped up. But even though she's playing... Well, not, not even though she's playing the villain. She's playing the villain. She's bad. You don't like her but you don't completely hate her because she still manages to make it human. And she's so confident and intelligent that you do end up respecting her a little bit, even though she's completely wrong in everything that she says. There's one bit where she's drinking a cup of coffee and she shoots a look at her husband from above the coffee cup. And it's such an awesome, chilling death stare that only Kate Blanchett could do. The music, as in the soundtrack, the 70s songs, that was awesome. Love the theme tune, the costumes and the setting. It's such a great recreation of the time. On a technical level, it was the best of the year. Amazing effort went into it. When I saw that this lost, I think, the Golden Globe or the Emmy to Watchmen as the best of the year, I was surprised because I was holding Miss America, Mrs. America up really, really high as a piece of greatness. It was a true great for me. And I'm going to recommend it for years and years. I think it was pretty much a perfect show. Daniel, what's your number one? Just done it. <laughs> the last what? dance. All oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Right. <laughs> Leave that in. <laughs> I'm glad it had an impact. <laughs> It's tough to whittle down a list of, for me, 263 things I've seen this year and say, oh, this is my top 10 combined. But is there anything that you deeply regret not making it onto your list this year? Any honourable mentions that you wish you could have squoze in? There are things not in the list as a result of some self-imposed rules. So I only really wanted to include things that was new when I was talking about them or things that I'd watched all the way through. So something that I did really, really like, discussed quite recently, was Small Axe, colon, Red, White and Blue, starring John Boyega, directed by Steve McQueen. If this was put out as a film, I would have put it in the top five probably. It was excellent. Again, in the 70s slash 80s, such a good historical piece. But because it was one episode of an anthology that I didn't watch the rest of, I thought, well, I'll leave it out. Outlander, probably the best TV that I've watched, but because I'm coming in late, I didn't want to include that, and I'm only up to series three. And Blood Machine, which was a really early one that I watched on Shudder, which was a short film. I think it's like 70 minutes long. It's more like a sci-fi, cyberpunk music video about a floating naked robot that's being chased by a Han Solo type figure. Just visually really good. It was eye candy for me. Love the robots and the visuals and the sci-fi stuff, but can't really break through into a top five film list because it's more of a 70 minute music video. Any honourable mentions for you? Like I said earlier, really struggled from a film perspective, but I would probably put in the 1917, which I watched this year. Sam Mendes with his seemingly one-shot First World War film. It is something to be marvelled at. The action and set pieces are spectacular. Last film that I watched at the cinema, actually, prior to the pandemic. I've seen Tenet since, but whatever. And then other film one to mention, I See You on Netflix. I just love this film because it's a little indie horror 
that I had no expectations coming into it. And that was just as well because it's such a neat little premise with some really clever misdirection and there's really interesting twists and turns along the way. Really enjoyed that. TV perspective, I wish I could have included some of the things that I've probably enjoyed more than what made it into my top five, but I couldn't finish them. So therefore, they couldn't be in my top five. Like you discussed, The Third Day being one of them. Devs, another one that I really enjoyed but didn't finish. And the last one, which I really need to sort out. Have you heard of Giri Hadji on BBC iPlayer? It keeps trying to get me to watch it, the Netflix algorithm. I'm not really sure what it is. Is it a detective drama? Yeah, so it's, and I'll quote from IMDb, a detective from Tokyo scours London for his missing brother who's been involved with the Yakuza and accused of murder. It's awesome. It is so good. I have no idea why I didn't finish the last two episodes, but please, James, I think you will love this. It is so, so good. But I'm going to try and finish that over Christmas, I think. And maybe The Boys Season 2. So that's all been very positive. Let's lower the mood, James. What's your biggest disappointment of 2020? Seen either way, no matter which way you look at it, forwards or backwards, the biggest disappointment is Tenet. What a mess that that was. <laughs> I still wouldn't take back the recommendation because he does deliver some kind of spectacle. Our God King, our Lord and Saviour, Christopher Nolan. But we talked about this almost every episode, and this was the film that was going to save cinemas. It was going to be Inception 2, but it didn't deliver. It delivered action, I suppose. What a disgusting mess. Don't care about the red string, whatever. That you've just said, whatever. What about you? There might not have been much crossover and duplication in our top five lists, but for biggest disappointments, I echo everything that you've just said, but maybe with a bit more anger behind it. So, (laughs) (laughs) This film just arrived with an overwhelming dull thud for me. I tried at the time putting it down to the circumstances in which I found myself watching the film. I've had three hours sleep, accidentally pissed in the back of my car and covered myself in urine. But it makes absolutely fuck all sense and it's unforgivable. And the amount of news articles this week basically saying it is a mess, this film doesn't make sense. I was right in what I said at the time and I stand by it. Stop trying to blindside me with explosions and people walking backwards. You're not making any sense. I see through your bullshit, Mr. Nolan. Still love you though. Can I just uh, add something onto this as well, which will make even less sense than the film? I bought this this week. <laughs> it's the Nolan brand that sucked you in in the end. I just thought, give it another go. You have only seen it once. I'm sure it won't make any more sense. People on the internet are telling you it's not going to, but see what the message thinks of it. So I bought it. There we go. Really, really annoyed. Why was the painting that important? It feels like they spend so much time on this explaining the origin story of this painting and the heist to get the painting. Get rid of the painting. Just have someone come in and say, Chris, forget the painting. Just have him go straight from the protagonist, go from, where's Kenneth Branner? Now I've met Kenneth Branner. It was so convoluted. It was like a video game of do this pointless thing and here's a mission to do with that thing. Okay, now you get to meet this person. And if they'd have done that, they could have spent more time making sense of whatever this film was. And there's, like you've said, there's more articles being written about it this week because it's available on demand. And yeah, the articles say this 
is a mess, doesn't make any sense. And I think at the time there was that 73% Rotten Tomatoes rating because people were saying, doesn't make sense, doesn't have any heart, protagonist is called protagonist, is boring, but it looks good, fresh rating. <laughs> where everyone basically said the same negative things about it, but let it get away with it anyway. And now history is being corrected now that it's been released on video. It's not good. I've not lost faith in him, though. I just think he's had a misstep. As far as I'm concerned, it's the first one he's had. So, you know, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's see what he comes out with next. I pray to God that it makes more sense than this. I was going to say that Mulan was a disappointment, but my expectations were low and those expectations were met. So I wouldn't really call it a disappointment. Let's award our first award on In The Isles podcast, the most featured actor across our reviews. It's split between two people. Who is it, James? It's Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who was featured in Project Power 7500, 7500, 7500. I forgot what the actual proper <laughs> way of saying it is. And The Trial of the Chicago 7. Also, sneaking in with not as high-profile roles, Tuppence Middleton also appeared three times in Disappearance at Clifton Hill and Mank and Possessor, sneaking in on episode 27 and 28 appearances. So well done to Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Tuppence Middleton. Your award is in the post. Just give us your home address and we'll send it to you. Indeed. And let it be remembered. 2020 was the year of emergence for Tuppence Middleton, and it's all thanks to this podcast. So you're welcome. You owe your career to us and us only. Daniel, that's enough looking back. Let's look forward. What's happening in next week's episode? We are back to business as usual next week as we review the latest Netflix film starring George Clooney, The Midnight Sky which has already been released in theatres in some countries. So we've got a bit of a finger on the pulse as to what the verdicts on that will be. But tune in next week. Don't read it on the internet. Listen and find out our thoughts. And we're not doing Wonder Woman because we're in Tier 3. And if we want to watch Wonder Woman, we have to drive like 40 minutes to Tier (laughs) 2. And I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. We think a lot about this podcast and our listeners, but we will not risk our lives again for the sake of your listening pleasure. Sorry, that's just the way it is. Until next week, can people reach us somehow? Reach out and or complain to us at inthealespodcast at gmail.com. James, what about Instagram? Follow us, In the Isles Podcast. Well, James, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for co-posting with me this year. Appreciate it. Thanks, see you in a bit.